the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Shout out to super producer, Mr. Max Williams. What, what? Oh, shout out to the one and only Mr. Noel Brown. Hello. What, what? Hello. And uh, and uh, shout out to you folks for joining us for part two of a very weird story about the U.S. Navy and the mob. Uh, they they call me Ben. Um, what, what? Oh, thanks, man. We had a, we, we've got some frenetic energy here. Uh, this is a meaty two-parter for us and, and off air. Or at the very end, I think it was of part one, Noel, we had promised to explain the name Baby Shacks. Baby Shacks. Yeah. Luigi Baby Shacks Minocchio is alive. He is he's alive right now. He's from Rhode Island. Yeah, living out his twilight years at Martha's Vineyard, no doubt. <laughs> he's uh we figured out why he has the nickname Baby Shacks. For a while, he was called Baby Shanks, and that was incorrect. Mm, that bothered him. His okay. name, Baby Shacks, and well, you said it, it sounded like it might be a little untoward, I believe uh-huh. is the word you used. Yes. Well, he got the name for two reasons. First, people thought he had a baby face when he was okay. a younger hoodlum. But that nickname was already taken. <laughs> yeah, so they could call him Baby Face. And he had a reputation for, quote, shacking up. With a cavalcade of women. Perhaps uh, of the underage variety? Or I don't. The- I, I, I think just uh, people he met in the mob lifestyle, but still Baby Shacks feels like a gross yeah, One time I was walking down Ponce where our old office used to be, and I heard somebody with one of the most disturbing street names I've heard in a while, Little Daddy. This lady yeah. was yelling, you stop right there, Little Daddy. Yeah, maybe that was just a, a, a term of endearment, perhaps. I don't know. I'm uncomfortable. Um, I, 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 I remain <laughs> uncomfortable. But yeah, so this is, we're, we're, we're in part two. We've kind of got the meeting of the minds, the aligning of some very unlikely partners towards a common goal, uh, that being uh, fighting the Nazis. Yeah, yeah. And we, we set up, a lot of the context for this thing that becomes known as Operation Underworld. We're just going to dive right in. So if you haven't listened to part two yet, go ahead and pause. Uh, We'll wait and uh, we'll see you on the other side. Great. Welcome back. Welcome. Yes. (laughs) Welcome. <laughs> okay, so no, I love how you, you set this up because these really are strange bedfellows, right? This is like the wolves and the lions working together. Mm-hmm. Perhaps some lambs in there as well. They've uh, decided to truce and not eat each other, or at the very least, you know, maul each other. Um, 
So this underworld operation, Operation Underworld, uh, involves the underworld, you know, the, uh, the the world of organized crime. And uh, we know even within the world of organized crime, you have these factions often aligned along ethnic kind of divides, right? Mm-hmm. You've got the Italian uh, organized crime. You've got the Irish organized crime. And never the twain shall meet under most circumstances. But again, pretty universal idea that Nazis are bad. Um, so this kind of became this sort of common cause that they joined forces with the government who would be the greatest enemy of, of organized crime, you know, folks who would be normally seeking to put them away. And it's not like they're aligning with the FBI exactly, but still the Navy, you know, it's a branch of the U.S. military, which is all kind of interconnected in that same way. So we talked earlier about how could this work, you know, down the line where if they're kind of cooperating and using their underworld connections in league with the government, how how could they be assured that this would not be one day used against them? I don't know that we necessarily are going to be able to answer that question. Mm-hmm. It does seems like that whole Nazi problem was enough to cause them to just kind of roll the dice on this one a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, we've all been in those situations maybe not necessarily fighting Nazis, but where we find ourselves in cahoots with uh, the strangest people, right, in our lives. And this happens across every industry, including the industry of crime. So we're setting up this alliance, right? The first guy to join in is the president of the International Longshoremen's Association, a guy named Joseph Ryan, along with his sidekick, Johnny Cockeye Dunn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had a bit of a squint. So next, uh, we have um, the High Lord Executioner, as we talked about earlier, Albert Anastasia. And Anastasia was a big dog, and he was, you know, he uh, uh, struck fear into the hearts of even his allies. Um, So it was a really big get to have him on board because he was kind of the power behind the throne. And with his word uh, backing the U.S. government, no one was going to turn down any of these um, requests for intel. Right. Yeah. And so their coalition forms. Uh, Cockeye Dunn and a guy named Jerry Sullivan are overseeing the West Side waterfront. A guy named Joe Adonis partners with Frank Costello to look at the Brooklyn side. And a guy Is his named wife Ma- named Venus. <laughs> Wait, what? You know, Don Venus and Adonis. Never, it's just a silly uh, <laughs> Greek mythology. Uh, yes, nerd. Adonis Joke. Venus. Okay. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. I think Adonis is such a cool last name, a cool surname that that guy probably didn't need a nickname. Totally. I bet he was a real smoke show too. Um, So, you know, when you join a union, you get something called a union card. You sign a union card. Um, So they actually, that's sort of your ticket to the dance, right? And so a lot of these undercover uh, naval operatives were issued union cards, which granted them a lot of access. They were able to uh, infiltrate, you know, restaurants and bars and piers and truck uh, depots and factories and various other of these mob-aligned businesses because, you know, I mean, the history of unionizing is very fraught. We obviously know unions, uh, all in all, are a good thing when they look after the workers, but they we know that from the start with folks like Jimmy Hoffa, the Teamsters Union and all that, there's all always been this kind of mob influence looming over the history of organizing uh, workers. Mm -hmm. So it does kind of give it a bit of a bad rap sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And the Longshoremen's Association played a huge role in this overall, right? That, that sort of marriage of uh, workers, organizations, and organized crime. Uh, the guy we mentioned earlier, Jerry Sullivan, he would later go on to describe how, <laughs> I, I guess the best way to put it is, you know, if you're a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. Mm-hmm. And the mob has definite tried and true business practices So they enforce things in a mob way. Uh, Sullivan says, Lansky was solving the problem for the Navy on the waterfront by the visible deployment of some of the most ruthless gangsters in the city. It was expected that the mere appearance of these men on the piers would serve as a deterrent, a warning to cooperate with the U.S. war effort or face the consequences. 
So they were just intimidating, right? Am I reading that right? You are totally reading that right. And uh, by the way, this comes from a fabulous piece on Warfare History Network uh, by Gregory Peduto, uh, Project Underworld, the U.S. Navy's secret pact with the mafia. Not so secret now. But you're absolutely right. I mean, they this was kind of a desperate times call for desperate measures situation pretty much across the board because, you know, mobsters gonna mobster. I oh, mean, yeah. it's not like you're going to just all of a sudden start to 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 play nice because you're working with Uncle Sam. And in fact, that's probably what Uncle Sam wanted. You know, they wanted them to flex on their behalf so that they could ensure getting the most accurate intel from some very terrified, you know, individuals who knew that if they didn't uh, cooperate, they would have hell to pay in the form of, you know, busted kneecaps or worse. Mm-hmm. And this is this is still overseen by... Commander Charles R. Haffenden. And eventually, this strange alliance creates a mercenary shadow army. This is, oh, this is great. Mm-hmm. This reminds me of Shadowrun, honestly. Uh, you yeah, got your, this is some real stuff that I want you to know kind of business. Oh, yeah, here, totally. You, know? you got your street level thugs, the enforcers, the triggermen. You got people whose day jobs are murdering folks and other guys who are smuggling stuff. You got kingpins with international reach. And there's a lot of violence because, again, these guys have a very specific understanding of enforcement and they're not worried about uh, the constraints that government employees would have. And that's exactly what we see with, you know, black sites and, um, you know, what, like, what do they call it? Like uh, ghost recon kind of, you know, I'm not, I'm talking about video games, but you know what I'm saying? Like a lot of these things where they disavow any knowledge of the operation in the event that someone's captured uh, or discovered or whatever. And that is so that they can employ some tactics that are maybe not officially sanctioned by the U.S. government. And that is absolutely on full display here under Commander Haffenden, um, who, you know, couldn't have been blissfully ignorant to to, to the fact that, you know, to make an intel omelet, you got to break some arms and legs. Oh, gosh. Yeah, and definitely some necks, too. Uh, There's even, there are specific examples. Commander Haffenden sent this guy, cockeyed Dunn, and he said, hey, go look into these two, these two dudes that we think might be German agents. And uh, he killed them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he he yeah. just he went and killed them. Like, what do you mean? I took care of you. Said take care. You said look into <laughs> take it. Take care of them. I looked right? into it. Wink, wink, nudge, <laughs> nudge, you know. Uh yeah. And 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 again, uh, in that uh Warfare History Network article by uh Gregory Perduto, he had this to say. I love the way he he framed it. Um, he referred to it as a uh mob land uh one-way ride. <laughs> Which I've never heard before. But you kind of know what that means. It's Mm. nice and descriptive. You're not coming back. There were also wiretaps being deployed that were recording uh, some of the reports of some of these off-the-books operations. And here is a quote from actually one of these uh, these taps, one of these recordings, uh, from, I believe, Mr. Cockeye. They'll never bother us again, he said, with uh, dire finality. I think we know what that is. They'll never bother us again because they're... Not going to be around to They're bother not anybody. anybody. No, yeah. exactly. Well, the Navy did officially, you know, kind of frown on this. Um, they just couldn't keep tabs on somebody like that. And you're not going to be able to change. You can't, you can't take the fight out of the mad dog. You know, mm. you can't do it. And here's the thing. Operation Underworld is a success. It works. Uh, like Warfare History Network points out. Once the mafia got involved and they had the coalition solidified and they had united everybody, there was not a single act of sabotage, sus, suspect fire that occurred. There weren't even labor strikes. You know, I think I think the mob was uh, treating this as um, kind of a cosign from the government mm-hmm. and to want, go ham. Yeah, and to wanted do whatever to, it took. Yeah, and wanted to show that they were good at their jobs, mm-hmm. which, which they were. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, good being a relative term here. And they actually started kind of going a little rogue, right? This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. 
With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. Cement Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know. I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Yeah, because remember, Lucky Luciano is... Locked up, but he's very much alive. And he's reading reports about all these allied victories. And he says, I want to be part of the action. And he's he's thinking again in mafioso terms. He's thinking, you know, I did you a solid. I did you a favor, U.S. government. You know, you should be grateful because I, I, my people helped you over there at the port. And, uh, and he's thinking... They'll owe me Leverage. even more. Yeah, mm -hmm. they'll even owe me more if I step forward for active duty. He says, I'm going to volunteer to act as a scout for frontline troops. I'll parachute into, this is true, this is crazy, oh right? I'll God. parachute into action behind enemy lines, and then I'll use my influence to help turn the tide of the war for the United States. Yeah, 
Uh, and, you know, he, he was right. He was reading it right. The government uh, was grateful. Um, they did look at this as an opportunity. Um, and uh, it ultimately ended up kind of working out, maybe not exactly the way he had planned, but definitely in a way that benefited Luciano by January of 1943. The Allies were operating an offensive in the Mediterranean. Um, They had defeated the Italians and the Germans already in North Africa uh, and were now trying to uh, open up a another front um, in Europe to really put the screws to Hitler because the Germans were busy fighting the Soviets uh, in Russia. Uh, as we know, they were a very, very, very important part of this conflict, too, you know, in terms of, like, I think it was largely Russian troops that were the first to liberate the the, the concentration camps. Mm-hmm. And this brings the mob back around. Because in addition to crime, the mob knows another thing very well, the nation of Italy, right? And so there's this thing called the Casablanca Conference, Then U.S. President Franklin Roosevelt and British Prime Minister Winston Churchill get together. They chop it up, you know, they nosh, they have some snacks, they Mm jibba-jabba, and uh, they decide that the Americans are going to support Churchill's plan to invade Italy. Under Mussolini, the Allies are thinking Italy is the soft underbelly of Nazi Europe. And we've seen it described multiple times in previous episodes, just as this. So they say, all right, how do we do this? Well, if we want to really sock it to Italy, then we have to attack the, we have to attack Sicily first. And we're going to do this with something we'll call Operation Husky. Mm -hmm. Another fabulous resource for this one is uh, Lucky Luciano and WW2's Operation Husky from the History Reader, Dispatches in History from the St. Martin's Publishing Group by Tim Newark. Uh, Highly recommend a full read of that one as well. So they figured out where the Allies were going to position themselves, and Churchill then uh, was forced to admit that the Americans did have a pretty big advantage when it came to the Italians because of this situation. Yeah, yeah, because there are a lot of uh, people in Italy who have a favorable feeling for America or the United States specifically, and there are also a lot of citizens of the U.S. who are of Italian descent. This led Roosevelt to write to Churchill in a telegram and say, it is my opinion that our military problem will be made less difficult by giving to the Allied military government in Sicily as much of an American character as is practicable. So so despite being allies, I mean, Churchill would not have been fully uh, looped in on this Operation Underworld situation, right? This was very much kind of a back pocket kind of thing. For oh, yeah. This is off the, the U.S. Books. government. Oh, very yeah, much yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, they have suspicions. Yeah. They have suspicions. And again, this, you know, whole like Italian-American, you know, trust or whatever thing really is just kind of a stand-in for some of these other things, you know, in terms of the uh, position of the mob in the United States. He would have been aware of that at the very least. 100%. And, you know, there were there's organized crime in England as well. Uh, and we know that Churchill had doubts because he did agree with Roosevelt, but then he also secretly wrote to the UK ambassador in DC and said, uh, I'm not, I'm not sure that all the Italian American connects Roosevelt is talking about are on the up and up. I feel like he's, he's talking to his ambassador and he's going, bro, I feel like they might be sus. I feel like they might be mafia people. And the ambassador wrote back and said, Italian communities here have an intimate knowledge and connection with Operation Husky and with Sicily. And he goes on to basically say, yeah, churchy, I hear you, but uh, we got to do what we got to do. Omelets, eggs, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Arms, legs. Mm-hmm. Hands, necks. Oh, uh, my. This, this is going to be a great song once we get the beat done. Noel, I defer to you on that one. Hey, thanks, but I'm on it. So our cool improvised song aside, it is undeniable that the mafia is going to be involved in this because this is, in, in many ways, this is pretty much close to a home game for them. And there's a very important factor here. The mafia hates Benito Mussolini. Yeah. Hates, hates, hates. For good reason. We talked about that at the top of the show. You know, even though they 
many, you know, these folks are, are uh, in America at this point, you know, obviously, but they've got family likely, you know, at home back in Italy uh, and the kind of headquarters, they are working in league uh, with, um, you know, OG, you know, um, Cosa Nostra, you know, in, in Italy. And Benito Mussolini is brutally cracking down on the mafia, uh, essentially causing them to have to go underground. So they, you know, for practical purposes, are really against this guy. So Luciano and some of his Sicilian pals, you know, back home, uh, are able to give the Americans some very important information that helped aid their invasion. There's a report from the Joint Chiefs of Staff that recommended this as a kind of a, you know, a prerequisite for the invasion. It advised, quote, establishment of contact and communications with the leaders of separatist uh, nuclei. Love that. Mm. Uh, disaffected workers and clandestine radical groups. Oh, yeah. Uh, E.G., the mafia. <laughs> that's in it. That's yeah. a, I, I love it. They said the quiet part out loud after saying the, the, the little veiled kind of version of it. Uh, E.G., the mafia, and giving them every possible aid. Uh, and a huge shout out to all that's interesting.com mm-hmm. here. And um, John uh, Kurowski, who, who fact checked this article about Operation Husky, how a mobster Lucky Luciano aided the U.S. in World War II. Great site and great read. Yeah, I love all this interesting. And the U.S. government goes for it. They get with the mafia associates. Uh, They say, okay, give us the pictures, give us the intel on the coastline of Sicily. Tell us about the harbors. They get all this information. It's like uh, it's like the mafia is an honor student going for that extra credit essay. They get all that they wanted and more. And this information is crucial to the planning of the invasion, amphibious landing in July of 43. And believe it or not, some of these Sicilian, we'll call them contacts, so as not to disparage their good name, some of these Sicilian contacts get into the wet work. They fight alongside the U.S. forces against Germans and against Mussolini's Italian forces. And if you, most of the historical accounts you read about this, credit Lucky Luciano. He had the connects again, like we said in part one. The guy loved to organize stuff. This is speaking to his skill set, you know. Uh, and it is op- called organized crime, after all. Yeah, after all, they're all they're pretty they're pretty good at organizing. And Lucky was exceptional, even in this rarefied air. Codename Operation Husky probably wouldn't have been as successful as it was without him. Definitely, it wouldn't have succeeded without the mob. And you can read blow-by-blow accounts of how this went down and how these these operatives, when they were coming in from the U.S. side, they got lists of names of people in different crime families, people hanging out in Sicily doing different rackets. And those guys teamed up. Uh, I believe it was 181,000 soldiers from the U.S. Army, 600 tanks, 14,000 vehicles, a lot of artillery. They they stormed it, and the people at the very front were uh, Commander Haffiton's officers from Operation Underworld. This was a mafioso production. So this mafia safecracker, Paul Alfieri, is, is a real B&E specialist. So during the phase of Project Underworld that took place in New York City, uh, he was crucial. He was a very important key player. Uh, he was what you might call a cat burglar. Um, and he was able to infiltrate uh, enemy safes and uh, attain all of these important classified documents, uh, ciphers, you know, the, the keys that you would need to crack you know, codes, you know, of the enemy. This was a time where there wasn't really encryption, the digital sense that we know today. So it was all about these, you know, literal kind of like codes and and, and, uh, code breaking and all of that was a really important part of military intelligence at the time. Um, You have to have the key to understand, you know, the the, the pattern and be able to like pull out the actual intel from these, uh, these, these documents that would appear as gobbledygook. So he actually earned a uh, an, an award, I guess, a major <laughs> reward. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, Le- the Legion of Merit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is a mob guy who is raiding the headquarters over in Sicily with the help of the U.S. Army. 
uh, and they say, okay, we're going to put together a group of insurgents. We're going to build our own army because everybody loves Lucky Luciano in the criminal underworld in Sicily. Every time they're asking someone for help, they bring up Luciano's name and boom, hearts and minds, gentlemen. And this plan to make an insurgent army would probably have worked very well, but the timing was the timing was off because other things were happening in the war. General Patton beat them to the punch. On July 22nd, he captured the city of Palermo, the capital of Sicily, just two hours before these other forces were due to come in and wreck stuff. So if anything, Operation Underworld was throwing gas on an already healthy fire, right? And so just 38 days after the invasion, Allied forces, including the mob, succeed in driving Mussolini's forces out of Sicily, and the battle for that part of Italy is over. It's kaput. It's done. They won, you know? And um, now we have to remember... Here's what I think. I think for part of this, yeah, Lucky Luciano's a patriot. He sees it as doing the right thing. But I think at least part of his pitch for him going to Sicily in person was to get out of prison, right? Like at least a little bit. Absolutely. Okay. This is a guy who who thrives on crimes of opportunity. I mean, no question about it. So he is, okay, I'm glad you say that because he's still trying to get out of prison. This whole Sicily invasion that's dependent upon his reputation, it happens while he's locked up by the same people he's helping, if you think about it. And uh, let's go back to the mob attorney, Moses Polakoff. Very cool name. In May of 1945, Polakoff says, you know, my client has done an invaluable service, has helped you win Sicily, has helped in a very real way strike a blow in World War II. And I believe that should at least get him parole. So the state parole board makes a favorable report, and this report makes it to the desk of the governor, a governor named Dewey, who used to be a former prosecutor who made his name by arresting a ton of people in, uh, in Luciano's sex rings. My how the turntables, as they would say on the office. They would say that on the office. That's very true. So January 3rd, 1946, the governor signed off on Luciano's parole. He had served only nine and a half years of a 30 to 50 year sentence. Oh, how uh, morality just goes out the window when Uncle Sam has something to gain. You know, it really uh, goes to show that it's all kind of, uh, it's, a, it's a very relativistic kind of way of looking at um, you know, good and evil, right? Mm-hmm. And these very Dewey, Governor Dewey is very careful about how he phrases his decision. So Luciano, again, for those of us playing along at home, he had been sentenced to 30 to 50 years in prison. At this point, he's been in prison for a little under 10 years, nine and a half, a long time, but still not, still not all the time he was meant to serve. And this is what Governor Dewey says. He says, uh, this is coming to us by the, from the mobmuseum.org, which we're very much looking forward to visiting. He doesn't say, this guy is great. He says, quote, Luciano is deportable to Italy. Uh, upon entry of the United States into the war, Luciano's aid was sought by the armed services in inducting others to provide information concerning possible enemy attacks. It appears that he cooperated in such an effort though the actual value of the information procured is not clear. And he goes on to talk about how this is definitely not a pardon because he's definitely a criminal uh, and he's not, you know, a documented U.S. citizen. That's what he says. That's what the governor says. So we're going to give him a ticket to Italy. And this is essentially like, what, a, a, a deport? Is being deported, kind of, but like in a good way? Yeah, it's like his sentence is commuted. Right. Uh, yeah, it's weird. And a lot of Dewey's political rivals don't like it. You know what they say? They say, he got to you. The mob bribed you. That's why you're letting this guy go. And it even goes into Senate hearings in 1951. And 
there were there's a lot of murkiness that goes down in those Senate hearings, like a lot of uh, neither confirm nor deny what Luciano did. What we see here is a cover up begins. You know what I mean? The Navy doesn't want to say, yeah, we got we got in bed with organized crime to win a war. Mm hmm. But but again, you know, it's like the, the, de- the ends justify the means and all of that. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, temp to hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville's. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I meant I said El Camino and I meant Monte Carlo. I miss it so uh the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. But what happened when Luciano uh, went to Italy? You know, did did he go back to his old ways? He is technically on parole, but for all intents and purposes, it seems like he's kind of got a pass. Um, So how did he conduct himself? Yeah, yeah. This is a nice denouement to the story, right? So like you said, he tries to lay low and his name eventually gets back in the news. And there are these rumors that he is running a band of thieves known as the La Marca Gang. And they are kind of a Robin Hood enterprise, but they're running a human trafficking ring. And there are gossip columns that say he's in Paris and he's uh, hanging out with uh, an ex-lover, a former showgirl named Gay Orlova. And then there's other stories that say he makes it to Mexico. It turns out a lot of this is just scuttlebutt, right? A lot of this is just rumors and 
you know, like when people say they've seen Elvis or Kurt Cobain or Jim Morrison or something. But there is one that turned out to be correct. In October of that year, Lucky Luciano made his way to Cuba. He sure did. Um, that time, the mob was making waves into Cuba in the uh, casino and hotel industry, specifically in Havana. Um, so it really was kind of a home away from home for old Lucky Luciano. And he was present at one of the biggest mafia meetings in history, referred to as the Havana Conference. Uh, because, I mean, you know, let's, let's face it, the mob is so ubiquitous and far-reaching at this point. They're kind of like their own government, you know, and they operate, uh, again, at this point, they've, they've leagued up with the government. I mean, how much more, um, right. I guess, validation do you need? And also just in terms of like too big to fail or too big to actually be brought down. It wasn't until many years later with like RICO laws um, that they were actually able to target, the, the government was actually able to target the mafia successfully, which has largely led to it holding much less sway than it did in these days. But this really was the kind of like, you know, heyday for the mob. Yeah, yeah, very much so. His timing is great. And Luciano meets with these different mob bigwigs, some you'll recognize from earlier parts of this story, like Frank Costello, and he greenlit a hit on a guy named Benjamin Bugsy Siegel because uh, Siegel was not doing a good job running the Flamingo Hotel in Las Vegas. And when you work for the mob, you don't really have uh, an HR department mm -hmm. who gives you write-ups. So... <laughs> So they killed him. But the conference was supposed to have ended on a pretty good note uh, for a second. Luciano was once again feeling lucky, and then everything went wrong because it turned out the entire time he had been in Cuba, Harry Anslinger, who was head of the U.S. Bureau of Narcotics, and by the way, he was a real pill, not a good person, uh, he had been targeting Luciano the entire time he had been he had people following him uh he was convinced that luciano was all the way back from italy very close to the us because he wanted to start a drug ring and become king of the underworld again boss of bosses yeah and I mean, you know I, again I, I, a lot of the stuff that i know about this scene came from shows like Boardwalk Empire and movies like The Godfather. And I know that it was, I mean, a big plot point on The Godfather is like getting into drugs was sort of a new thing uh, at the time. And like um, Don Corleone, you know, didn't want to do it. He didn't want to get into drugs, which is ultimately what led to his downfall because he wouldn't play play ball with uh, whatever that rival gang was that was trying to, to get him to agree to, do, uh, to, to sell heroin and stuff like that because he thought it was bad for the community. You know, um, so this idea of trafficking drugs really was relatively new for the mob and some folks weren't into it. Yeah, exactly. Right. There, you know, you see this sometimes where people say, well, that's a dirty line of business. Right. Like we we're just criminal. We're upstanding criminals. Right. That's right. We have a code. You we know? have a code. Yeah. Yeah. Like like thieves in law in, in Russia. But uh, so the news about the Havana Conference breaks in the United States. And it kind of breaks because Frank Sinatra shows up at the conference. He does. Yeah. He does Chairman a, of the board, baby. He does a concert. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, uh, and so Anslinger is still like super mad about this. He, he's kind of a hater. Uh, he goes to the State Department and says, you have to force Cuba to deport Luciano. The Cuba government says, nah, we're not doing it. Anslinger goes over, over everybody's head. He goes straight to President Truman, and Truman cracks this deal. They cut off shipment for medicines to Cuba, and they say, we're not going to let these medicines get to your people unless you arrest Lucky Luciano and send him packing back to Italy. Oof, that is greasy. That's dirty pool, man. And Cuba, as you can tell, doesn't have a choice. So Luciano has to get arrested. Yeah, isn't it interesting how, like, you know, trade embargoes and all that stuff are used throughout history as a, as a way of, you know, Collective penalizing punishment. folks for doing things you don't like. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's it's morally very dirty because sure you're talking is. about collective punishment. 
innocent people. You know what I mean? But that's that's the card they pull. And so it's February 23rd, 1947. Lucky is arrested at a restaurant in Havana. And the head of Cuba's secret police at the time says he was arrested because they thought he might cause public disorder. And then Lucky Luciano, who has a charming way of speaking, tells <laughs> tells a, a reporter for a wire service, UPI, he, he tells his side of the story. And he says, you know, if the Cuban government doesn't want me here, I'll just leave. He says, quote, if I'm going to have trouble on this side, I'll go back to Italy. I just want to be nice and quiet. I want to be kicked around like this for no reason. Which is just, I don't know. If you didn't know all the facts, you could identify with them. And anyway, this pursuit of Lucky Luciano continues when he gets back to Italy. And the Federal Bureau of Narcotics has a campaign against him for the rest of his life until he passes away in 1962. So what do you think? Crime boss? War hero? A little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. I mean, he contained multitudes, that's for sure. Yeah, this this whole story is bonkers because it really shows, again, you know, like I was saying before, the kind of moving target that is morality. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like uh, the ends justify the means and all of that stuff. Like it really calls into question, like, is the U.S. government really that different from organized crime? <laughs> right. Dare I say in my best Rod Serling voice, that doesn't even really sound like Rod Serling. But um, yeah, it really, I mean, that's that's why I think the story is so interesting. It's such a uh, fascinating kind of um, intersection of these two worlds, both of which are kind of populated by mercenaries and thugs. Yeah, no, true story, true story. And this is where we're going to leave it today. What a ride. You know, shout out, not just to you, super producer Max Williams, but shout out to all the amazing mob nicknames, you Mm -hmm. know? Uh, I I don't, I, I think we should save the other strange nicknames we found for a future episode. Uh, oh, with- you got to do three. Let me do a couple here. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Do, <laughs> okay. do, all right. do, do your favorites. Do your favorites. Yeah, let's see. Uh, we've got Joseph Joe Bananas. <laughs> uh, Banano. <laughs> oh, I get it. Okay. Uh, okay. We've got John Jackie Nose D'Amico. Oh, that's a weird and, one. I like uh, it. I think my personal favorite. Um, let's see. Ooh, it's really, it's it's a it's a tough one. I'm going to go with Israel Ice Pick Willie Alderman. Ice Pick Willie? Mm-hmm. And his name wasn't Willie or no. William. His name was Israel. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That reminds me, I was uh, talking to Max off air, man. Um, I can't remember what led to it. Uh, maybe we were stranded somewhere on the road. But remember that time when I went a little nuts and just like wrote 50 nicknames for you and our pal Matt Frederick and like yeah. insisted on pitching them to you? <laughs> No insistence required. <laughs> what? Um, they well to be clear, they were not all winners, folks. But I think I think collectively, um, our our favorite one was uh, Maddie Both Hands Frederick. Or was it two both hands? hands? Both hands. Not only two hands. He's got those, he's got but he's got, he uses them both <laughs> in equal measures. That <laughs> uh, there was, I think, um, uh, we maybe talked about this before, but there's an episode of Monty Python where there's this composer being interviewed on like a chat show, and his nickname is Two Sheds, and oh, they go right. into this whole thing about like how he has two sheds, <laughs> and and he's like, I, I'm not here to talk about my sheds, and the interviewer keeps, you know diverting the conversation back to insisting that he describe his sheds uh, as opposed to his me. I'm here to talk about my work, my music, not the sheds. Um, and also, I think, like, you know, two hats is good. Someone yeah. that maybe wears two hats. I like nicknames with numbers. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a specificity to it mm-hmm. as well. It's like anytime I'm at a Chinese restaurant and there's uh, something on the menu that has a number involved. I'm like, three cup chicken? How specific? Sign mm-hmm. me up. <laughs> I don't even know what's in the cups. Uh, but uh, we hope that you have enjoyed this two-parter. We wanted to start off strong with 2023. We hope your week is going well. And we can't wait. Uh, we can't wait to be back with you next week. We've got even more. Well, I mean, it's in the name of the show. Ridiculous history. 
sure is. And you, too, can become a ridiculous historian. We'll give you your Ridiculous History Union card. Uh, all you got to do is go to Facebook, uh, find the group Ridiculous Historians, and boom, you're in. And with that, we also want to thank Christopher Hasiotis, Eve's Jeff Coat, Mr. Alex Williams, who composed this banging track. Uh, who else? Oh, Jonathan Strickland, yeah. Of course, the Strickster, the Trickster. He's a very puckish figure, the, mm. the, the, the quizster. That's it, not the trickster. God, we should know that by now. Um, we got to, yeah, he should be, uh, he'll, he'll be arriving any day now. He's been, he's been bugging other podcasts, um, but we'll, we'll have him back soon. He's busy. Uh, it's, it's, he's, it's, he's a busy man. It's not like it's our choice, but it'll happen <laughs> one way or another. Um, in the meantime, you can also find all three of us on social media if you wish. Uh, I am at How Now Noel Brown uh, exclusively on the Instagram. I neither tweet nor uh, nor TikTok. Uh, I'm still working on that Pinterest board, but um, I have a feeling it's a bit of a fool's here. What about you, Ben? Yeah, well, of course, you can find me on Farmers Only. If that's not your speed, go to Instagram in a burst of creativity. I'm at Ben Bullen, B-O-W-L-I-N. You can get a preview of all kinds of weird secret projects that I'm currently working on. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter where I'm at Ben Bullen, H-S-W. Hey, you might say, I don't want to go to Twitter just to see you, man. I agree. I agree. The only reason I'm on Twitter is because I hear Max Williams hangs out there. Yes, I'm hanging out there at ATL underscore Max Williams. All right, let's go invade Sicily. Let's do it. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday.